Amen. Thank you. Well, this is, it's just crazy standing on the same platform with Pastor Jeff because when I was a pastor in Akron at the chapel there, he was a pastor in Worcester, and we got to know each other back then. And this is how ironic that we were here together, and uh, we both are on staff partly to taste test the cookies, which is really, it's a great ministry. It's a great gig. All right, it's just fun having him here. And he's, his office is right down the hallway from mine, which just makes it all so fun. And we are at the end of the Armor of God series. This is, I love the tagline. This is like what you read, you know, a deep voice in the theater, you know, Armor of God, becoming battle ready against forces of evil, coming to a theater near you. The thing is, this is not fictitious. This is real. This is real. And so uh, we've been at the end of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, looking at spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And uh, so far, this is what we've looked at. We've looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. I'll review those at the end. Each of these five pieces of armor have one thing in common. They are defensive in nature. Now, you need defense. You need to be able to stand there, Paul says, and resist the enemy. You've got to have defense. But you also need some offense. I don't know what your favorite sport is. Is it football? Is it, is it, is it baseball? Is it badminton? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's basketball. Uh, today, the women's final, NCAA finals, Iowa, they, they beat the undefeated South Carolina team uh, to be in the finals today against LSU. That's going to be amazing. And Monday night, we have UConn against San Diego State University, not them into basketball. I'd be much more into it if Ohio State was in it, I've got to tell you. But uh, I, I can tell you who's going to win right now. You don't, you know, Las Vegas doesn't know anything. I can tell you who's going to win. The team with the best defense, but also the team that's got really good offense. They can make the most points. They're the ones who are going to win. You've got to have both. And that's where Paul takes us next in what he's telling us about the armor of God. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And that is the one offensive piece of armor God has given us. Now, back in the day, the Roman soldiers, this is what Paul would have seen, anybody would have seen. Uh, this is called a pilum. It's like a spear. An email or a text went around our staff the other day. Does anybody have a spear? And lo and behold, I had a spear on my wall. Here we go. I brought it with me to show you. This is not a Roman spear, but it looks kind of like that. It's about six feet tall, which they were back there. It's called a pilum. And, and you would throw this, like, like, here, somebody catch over here. And uh, believe it or not, I, for, back in the 80s, I lived for a very short time in northern Kenya, and we worked with the Samburu tribe. This is a Samburu spear. And back then, I brought it back to the States, carry on. How about that? Crazy. But in Roman weaponry training, they would be taught to throw this spear and to disengage the army, or the, the, the opposing forces. This is not what, what, what Paul has in mind. What Paul has in mind is this, called a gladius, not to be confused with the gluteus, although the arrow is pointing in the same direction. It's sort of like this. It's, this is for up-close combat, like when you're toe-to-toe with the enemy. And Paul says, you know, he doesn't say turn and run or, 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 or turn your back. Face the enemy and fight. And they, a soldier back then would use the gladius. This is the sword of the Spirit. 
the word of God. The Roman soldiers would not be taught to slash the enemy, but to plunge this into the vital organs of the enemy, attempting to kill them. Now, I said that's graphic and that's brutal, but it's war. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is we are in a war and it is real. It is real. And our enemy is attempting to undo us, to hurt us, to draw us away from God. That's what the enemy... And so we need, we need our defensive weapons, but we need an offensive weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And in just a few moments, I'm, we're going to look at a story together of Jesus using the Word of God to fight off the enemy. Before we get there, what I'd like to do is to... Um, is to uh, do a, do a, do a, I'm, I'm going to do a few sidebar, make a few sidebar comments along the way. And the first sidebar comment has to do with this, reminding us of who our enemy is, but also who our enemy is not. Um, several weeks ago, when we started the series on the armor of God, this is what we read about our enemy. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What do we read right there? That our enemy is powerful and he is wicked and he is cunning and he is unseen. That's our enemy. But the other part of the question, this sidebar comment I want to make is, who is not our enemy? Our enemy is not people. I just want to be clear about that. Because sometimes we can end up weaponizing the Bible against people. And I'm going to use some conversations that Peter, that Jesus had with uh, the religious leaders and his disciples to help drive that point home. Uh, one, of the th- one of the ways we can weaponize Scripture is by being judgmental. Do you know what it means to be judgmental? You've seen judgmental people. You've been around judgmental people. There are people who won't even come to a church because they think we are all judgmental. It's not that we shouldn't be able to judge things, but judgmentalism is a completely different thing. And so Jesus says uh, to, to, to his disciples, don't be like these religious leaders and, and you know, pick out a speck in somebody's eye, the sin in that person's life, without looking at the log in your own eye. Don't throw a stone at somebody's life because of their sin without considering your own sin first. Don't be judgmental. Don't be known as judgmental. Uh, a second word is exclusive, exclusivism. Um, one day Jesus was interacting with a religious leader who they had a, this discussion about love. And this religious leader, he had this idea that, that we all have boundaries and those who are inside the boundary qualify for our love, but those who are outside the boundary do not. And Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you know that story? And that story is all about learning how to love outside of our boundaries. So watch out for judgmentalism. Watch out for exclusivism. Watch out for legalism. One day Jesus is with the disciples and he says, hey, watch out for these religious leaders. Because what they do is they add human law to God's law so they can make themselves look better and you look worse. (laughs) So judgmentalism, exclusivism, legalism. And i got to tell you, over my years as a Christian, I have been guilty of each of those at different times. It's easy to fall into because we can end up taking the, a verse in the Bible out of context just to make ourselves look good or, or to prove a point or to influence somebody, manipulate somebody. We can maybe speak the truth of Scripture. It might be true, but we don't do it in love. 
or we don't let our speech be seasoned with salt. And Paul says, you got to let your speech be seasoned with salt. I've done all of those things. And so Paul is simply saying, if you're going, if you're going to weaponize Scripture, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, weaponize it not against people. <laughs> be, be a... Be a good bearer of God's good news. Be a compassionate bearer of God's good news. Don't don't wield the word of God against people. Wield it against your one true enemy, the enemy of your soul. And so I want to get into the story of where Jesus shows us how to do this. Maybe you already anticipated us going to Luke chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus And this is how it begins. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. I bet he became very hungry. So just before chapter 4, we see Jesus being baptized in the river where he publicly declares his faith. And then just a little deeper into chapter 4, we see him arriving at a synagogue where he explains his purpose, his reason, his mission, why he came to earth, (laughs) why God in the flesh came to earth. But in between these two episodes, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, or some translations call it the desert. And it symbolizes um, spiritual adversity, a, a time of spiritual barrenness. And the enemy thinks he has Jesus right where he wants him. Sidebar note here. The enemy will come after anybody who who publicly declares their faith. And will go after people who are lonely and tired and hungry. The enemy is an opportunist. And the enemy thinks he has Jesus right where he wants him, just like he had Adam and Eve right where he wanted them. Jesus is fully God, and he is fully human. And the enemy is just hoping that he can get Jesus to cave in to his human nature. And so what we're going to do is look at these these three temptations, and then we'll come back and see how Jesus responded to the enemy in each case. All right? So here's here's the first temptation. It goes like this. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Notice how he puts into question are you, you re- his identity. Are you, you really who you think you are? Certainly you can turn this, this stone into a loaf of bread. Why don't you? And, and, and you must be hungry, by the way. <laughs> and there, there's nothing wrong with bread. There's no sin in eating bread. I ate bread yesterday. I'll probably eat bread today. And Jesus went on to eat bread the rest of his earthly life, I'm sure. There'll probably be, there will be bread in heaven. Right? So bread, there's nothing wrong with bread. What's going on here? It's the reason and the timing behind this temptation. He's, get, he's trying to get Jesus to act apart from faithful dependence upon God. Do you really need God? <laughs> and that's exactly how he'll try to attempt tempt you and me. To, 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 to bring into question our identity as Christians. Do you, do, you, do you really need Jesus? Do you really need God? 
do you really need to depend upon God? My wife and I just the other day met with a really sweet couple with an older child who was raised in the church to love God. And now they've like walked away. It's like God is not relevant anymore. And I would imagine some of you could tell the same story of someone you know, or maybe you've been there. I could tell a hard story that, that way myself about someone close to me. It's difficult. J.D. Greer, he, I love this comment by him. He says, Satan puts question marks in your life where God has put periods. Now, maybe you can remember all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where the enemy, Satan, says to, to Adam and Eve, did God really say question mark? How does Jesus respond? How should you and I respond to this? Second temptation. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give I, anyone I please, I, give it all, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Now, immediately, the enemy uh, uh, betrays who he really is. He is the author of lies. He says, all of this is mine to give. It's not his to give. Only God has supreme authority. Sometimes it feels like the enemy, the devil, has some authority. I mean, he is called the ruler of this age and the, the ruler or the God of this age and the ruler of this world. C.S. Lewis said that, that God has Satan on a leash. It's a long leash, but it is a leash. Sometimes he lets out a little extra leash. Here he's letting out extra leash. What is the enemy trying to do here? He's trying to get Jesus off mission off his main purpose for coming. Why did Jesus come? Not to get kingdoms. Not to have power. Not to reign. He will one day when he returns, he will reign completely over all the earth. Why did Jesus come? What was his mission? What a great week to talk about that. Good Friday. He's moving toward the cross. To die on the cross for our sins to show the love of God in the most practical way, to take our sins onto himself so that we could have life and be freed from death and be freed from sin. All of that for us. That was his mission. And you know, the enemy will try to tempt us to walk away from our purpose and our mission. I want to ask you as a Christian, what is your mission? What is your purpose? It is to live for God. You know, Jesus put it really succinctly in Luke chapter 9. Take up your cross and follow me. What does that look like? It looks like loving God and loving people. It looks like serving God and serving people. It looks like giving up my rights for the sake of following the Lord. The other day I was with some community leaders. And we were talking about what does it look like to lead in the community the way Jesus would lead the community if he were me. And we came to Philippians chapter 2 where it says, let your attitude be the same as Jesus Christ. What was the attitude of Jesus Christ? Even though he was God, he set his deity aside and took up the, the towel of a servant, humbled himself, and died on the cross for our sins. He served us. That's what we are called to do. How does Jesus respond to the enemy? And how should we respond to the enemy? Third temptation. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up in their hands, in their, with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Come on. 
Aren't you the, are you the son of God or not? Is God, is God with you or not? Did you notice here that, that the enemy, Satan, is actually quoting scripture? He quotes from Psalm 91, which is a beautiful song about, psalm about trusting God, but it's not about testing God. It's amazing how the enemy can, can portray himself as an angel of light and even sound like God at times. Be careful. And here he's testing Jesus to see, do you think God is really faithful? Would God really catch you? And let me tell you, as a Christian, as Christians, the enemy will tempt us when we are going through the deep weeds of life and we've, we're facing the dark night of our soul and it's just a difficult time in life and maybe you are there right now. You know what the temptation is? Does God really see what I'm going through? Does God really know what I'm going through? Does God really care about what I'm going through? And our call as Christ followers is to trust him no matter what. How does Jesus respond? How should we respond? This is how the story ends. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Jesus stood there with defense and with offense, and he won that battle. More to come. How did he do that? With the word of God, with the sword of the Spirit thrusting it into the enemy. We'll get there in a minute. I want to just do another brief sidebar conversation with you about temptation. Because sometimes it can get confusing. Don't beat yourself up when you are tempted. Temptation is not the sin. Now, it's not smart. It's foolish to put yourself in a position where you can be tempted. But temptation itself is not the sin. Martin Luther, many, many years ago, he said some great words. He said, you know, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. You can't keep temptation away. It's going to happen to all of us, but you can't avoid the sin. And you know, another thing about temptation, Scripture is clear that Jesus was tempted in every way like you and me. Uh, the Apostle John in, in, in 1 John, I think it's chapter 2, he says that we're all the same. We all deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the enemy was trying to appeal to that, 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 that base nature in Jesus, which there was none. But the Scriptures also say there's always a way out. There's always a way out of temptation. Even if you don't think there is, there is. And let me simplify it by saying this. Live under the umbrella of humility. What do I mean by that? Peter says this in his letter. James says it in his letter that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. How do, how do we express humility? In one way, we pray. We pray, God, I need help. You know, in, in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, sixth chapter, right after the armor of God, what does Paul say? Pray. 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 And how does Jesus teach the disciples and teach us? Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Da, 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 da. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Don't let me go down the road of temptation. Deliver me from evil. We pray. But also under the umbrella of humility is we depend upon the word of God, which is truth. I was with some people the other night, and we had this discussion. It was actually the family that, whose, whose son or daughter has walked away from God. 
So how, how in the world do any of us here get through life without God's perspective, without knowing God's word? We need it. And so in each of these temptations, Jesus simply says, the scriptures say. And so here's the first temptation. To distrust God. Turn that, turn that stone into a loaf of bread. No, Jesus says, people do not live by bread alone. I am not going to act apart from faithfully depending upon God. Yeah, I might need bread for my body, but I need God for my soul. How about you? Second temptation, grasp onto power and control. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Do you remember the temptation? You could have all these kingdoms. Jesus didn't come for immediate gratification. What about you? We're not to live for immediate gratification, but to live for others just as Christ gave his life for us. Third temptation. Throw yourself off this building. Go ahead, jump. Doubting God's faithfulness, Jesus responded, the, Lord, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God when you're going through those difficult times. Can you believe that God will be faithful and sees exactly what's going on and can even use that experience to advance you in your relationship with Christ? You can see the value of the word of God. The first temptation, Jesus leans into Deuteronomy chapter 8. The next two temptations, he leans into Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, at the chapel, we've provided... We, we, we provide, we, add, we, 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 we encourage four different environments where the word of God is important. It goes like this, row, circle, chair, and go. We don't talk about this enough. We probably should talk about it more. Row simply means what we're doing right now. I love it when I'm sitting out there and Pastor Charles or eventually Pastor Jeff will be teaching and I get to learn. It's so important. That's what, it's one of the reasons to be in church, not just to worship and sing to God, but to have, receive from God. Uh, some of the classes that Jeff will be uh, providing are going to be great. Row experiences where we learn the Word of God. But the other one is the, is the circle. That's where we are in a small group. And, and uh, Pastor Jeff will also be helping to develop more of those. Tomorrow morning, I meet with a group of men around a table. And we're going to be asking each, other's, each other questions and helping each other know how to live by the word of God and to face those temptations, those doubts that invariably come our way. The third one is chair, row, circle, chair. That's our private time where we are reading God's word and learning it. And I wonder, where are you with that? Last week, it was Sunday, a week ago, my wife and I were on the phone with my sister who lives in Columbus, and about just over five years ago, my mom passed away. She was a dear lady, sweet lady, taught for years in Huron and Perkins School Systems. And um, my sister, I don't know how it came up, but she was reminding us of an experience my mom had a number of years ago with the doctor, and the doctor said to her very sensitively, you need to lose weight. My mom, you have to know her. She's kind of funny. She says, well, how do you propose that? He said, well, do you have any exercise equipment in your home? And she said, yes, we have an indoor bicycle. And, he, and the doctor said, well, do you use it or is it collecting dust? And she said, she said no, I dust it. <laughs> now, on one level, we can all 
identify with that. We probably have equipment at home that's collecting dust. Be sure you dust it. But I would say this about your Bible, your physical Bible, or maybe the Bible on your phone. Is it just collecting dust? Because if it is, I got to tell you, your soul is probably collecting dust too. And it's impacting your relationship. I don't know any growing Christian who avoids Scripture, but finds a way to get into it. Now, we have provided something unique. This is called the Dwell app for your phone. Through our Growing Deeper Fund, we have purchased this for everyone in the chapel. And all you have to do is text that word to that number, and it will be on your phone. It's already paid for. It's already paid for. And if you text that number, you'll see how to register for it. It's also in your worship program from this morning. So, and you will find a myriad of ways to go deeper in God's word. Now, also, there's Right Now Media. This is also in your worship program. I love this. This is a collection of just a huge, huge number of videos that help us to understand God's word in a huge variety of ways. It's tremendous. We, I use it for a, a small group that I lead. So those are two examples of chair time. Row, circle, chair, and then go. And that just, this just means we are on mission. We should take what we know to be true and share it with others. I can tell you, when I share what I'm learning from God's word with somebody else, it just goes even deeper into my own heart. Now, we've come to the end of our discussion of God's armor. Let's review. Here we go. This is what we talked about several weeks ago, the belt of truth. God's word is truth. It's not just that. It's also being a person of integrity and speaking the truth. That's one of the ways we defensively fight our enemy. But there's also the breastplate of righteousness. We are made righteous. We are declared righteous through our faith in Christ, made right with God through faith in Christ. But it's more than that. It's also living righteously. It's living a moral, upright life. That's how we fight defensively. It's also the boots of peace. I can stand firm in the face of the enemy. Even when those doubts come and those temptations come, I can have the peace of God. Even when the hardships of life come, I can stand there with the peace of God. The shield of faith. That's what we hold up to fight off all of the things the enemy throws our way. I believe, I believe God has everything under control. And there is the helmet of salvation. What do I believe to be true? What do I believe about God? What do I believe about myself? I, my identity is in Christ. And we wear that helmet so we protect what we believe. Because out of what we believe comes our values, comes our behavior. And then lastly, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which we thrust into the enemy, just like Jesus did. Let's pray together. And now, God, thank you for the opportunity to look at your Word and be reminded not just of how strong and, and cunning and wicked and, and unseen our enemy is, but how you have given us what we need now, would you please give us the wisdom to put it on? You won't put it on for us. We have to put it on, all six pieces. Would you help us, please, God? Help us this week even live by your word. Give us a heart for your word, a love for your word, that it might become a part of who we are and enable us to fight the enemy. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And it's going to be great to see you uh, at the Good Friday service here and, for, and at Easter. It's going to be a great week. See you then.